0: Uh, We're in a a sermon series this summer on who leads the church. This is not exactly typical for us going through a particular series, but we usually pack a particular book in the Bible, but we're in between uh, a a couple of those right now. Uh, In September, we will be getting 1 Peter. Uh, So if uh, those who will be with us and our church members, you can go ahead and start reading that and preparing that for yourself and and, uh, praying for me and praying for us as we, we go through that. But in this sermon series that we're going to continue with this morning, we're going to continue with the third question of who leads the church. Uh, if you want the other questions, the first two, they're up on our website. by all means, listen to those and that'll catch you up on on what our ecclesiology is, what we believe the church is, and who the church is. And this question is who the church, who leads the church. And this has been a three part message first part being who leads the church we are an elder led congregationalist church and so we unpacked congregationalism and how the church members hold the keys of the hold the keys of the kingdom last week we talked about the elders we talked about who is an elder what is an elder and who is qualified to be an elder this week this morning as we continue this series we are going to talk about elders again, but the role and function of an elder. What does an elder do? What is the authority given by scripture, given to the elders? Imagine with me a beautiful day. I mean, it's kind of like today, except for it's probably super hot already. But imagine a beautiful, beautiful day. Sunshine, blue skies, I mean not, not a cloud in the sky. And with this beautiful day, you look down and there's these rolling beautiful hills. And you see beautiful pastures of of green, luscious grass. Not burnt, not ant hills a mile high, but beautiful green grass. Kentucky bluegrass, if you've ever been through Kentucky. Beautiful, luscious grass. Now that's a pleasing sight, isn't it? I mean, if you have eyes to see, you can look at that, get your face out of the phone or whatnot, and you can look at that and go, man, that's gorgeous. I, could, I can have a picnic here with my family. But imagine that there were sheep out in this field. I bet the sheep would enjoy that field than you would, because they'll eat the grass. You won't eat the grass, but I, you know, hopefully, and they'll eat the grass. They'll enjoy the grass. They'll enjoy the beautiful sunshine as as well, and, and, and they would really enjoy it. I mean, the, the sheep instantly enjoy grass and the, the wide hills, so in your mind, still picture it, right? Here's a bunch of sheep playing and eating, so you have the the older sheep are just eating, and, and the younger sheep are jumping around and, and, and bouncing uh, around, and the lambs are next to, their, next to their mothers, and they're eating and drinking and playing to their heart's delight. And of course, as time goes on, sheep, these sheep, especially in our minds, they're not wandering from this pasture, because this is a good pasture. I mean, who would leave this pasture? Remember, sunshine and beautiful fields and green grass and a lovely stream. These sheep wouldn't need any supervision. These sheep need no shepherding. They need no guidance. And all the sheep, so now these sheep are becoming more autonomous and speaking, so... This is turning into Animal Farm really quickly. These sheep agree. This is how our mind-mind works, so just welcome for a moment. These sheep start to agree with one another that, hey, we're safe here. This is good. There's no wolves here. There's no coyotes. We haven't seen a storm, and there's plenty to eat, and there's plenty to drink. And if we did need someone, then we would all get together, we would take resumes and we would hire her to take care of us when we need them. Now, I know this is just our minds, and so we know that this is not exactly reality. And the problem with this non-reality is not necessarily the picture that we started off with, not the green grass or the rolling hills or the warm sun or the cool breeze, but the problem is what? When these sheep became autonomous. When the sheep begin to believe that they're autonomous, when the sheep begin to think that they know what's best for them. You know, the Bible often uses the metaphor of sheep to refer to those who follow Christ. Jesus calls himself the good shepherd, and we, those who follow, those who are In Christ, as he says, are the sheep of my pasture, of his pasture. Now, is Jesus being insensitive here? I mean, think about this for a second. Is is he being insensitive to our self rule, to our self governing, to our own abilities as humans to be autonomous? And to do what we will? Is Jesus being condescending toward us, calling you, not just me, right, you too, a sheep? Is he being condescending to call his followers sheep? Is that how we are really thought of Jesus, that we are just a bunch of sheep? We are called sheep not because we lack any dignity or worth, but rather, which is the way that we would take that as an insult, but rather, we are called sheep because of how frail we are. Like sheep, we have all gone astray. And in our straying, we willingly walk into the mouths of wolves. Like sheep, we can do a lot, But like sheep, we need to be under an authority. We need to be under a shepherd. If we are sheep, then as Jesus says, then we can recognize, unlike real sheep, that we need a shepherd. And according to the picture, to the scriptures, if we submit to the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, then we can recognize our need for under-shepherds that the chief shepherd puts over us to lead us, to guide us, to oversee and care for his sheep. According to scriptures, and what we will continue with today, is that God has given elders to the church to shepherd or pastor, pastor the church and to oversee his people. These are the two roles and functions of the elders, to shepherd and to oversee. I want us to look to Acts chapter 20 this morning. If you would, turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. It'll be up on the screen if if you'd prefer to to look up there. Acts chapter 20, and we're going to start reading together in verse 17. Verse 17, now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from, the ha- and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks of repentance toward God of faith, God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem. Constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city. The imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify you to this day that I am innocent of the blood of you all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Remember that for three years I did not. Cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted to no, no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak and remember the of the Lord Jesus how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things he knelt down and prayed with them all, and there was much weeping on the part of a part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. This is the word of the Lord, and may his Holy Spirit move in our hearts to hear and to see his holy, inspired, inerrant word for his glory and for our joy. Amen. not need to read this whole section. This is a beautiful passage. This is a beautiful passage of... One man who has sacrificed and loved this church, the church of Ephesus, and has loved the church and the elders of the church in Ephesus, that when he he was going back to Jerusalem here in Acts chapter 20, stopping in this small town, he sent word for these elders to come, because this is the last time I'm going to see you, because he Paul will be headed to Rome. And on his way, he stopped and he met with these elders, plural, of this one church in Ephesus. During his second missionary journey, he came to the famous city of, of Ephesus to evangelize the region of Asia Minor. And he was in Ephesus for for three years. And we saw, we see it, right, in Acts, as well as later in his writings to Acts, that there was a great work of the gospel in the city of Ephesus. And so the church was planted, elders were raised up and appointed and put in place to lead the church as Paul moved on. So this here in Acts chapter 20 is the record of Paul's last encounter with these beloved elders of this beloved church. His words to these dear brothers show an immense amount of love for them and an immense amount of love for the church. In doing so, he instructs them. He instructs them, being the last time, I need to tell you, brothers, this is a warning. You need to hear this. Keep shepherding. Keep being faithful. And the call and the warning that the apostle makes to the elders of Ephesus is a call and a warning to the church today that is absolutely necessary for the churches today, including us. And that is for elders and for the shepherds of the church. Shepherd the flock. As First Peter puts it, he says, shepherd the flock. Paul says, guard the flock here in Acts chapter 20. Shepherding has this very important role to take care of the sheep. You can almost hear Paul say, take care of my people. Take care of the sheep. Keep them safe. A shepherd is one who is invested in the flourishing of the sheep despite the sheep. And as Jesus said, he's not just a hired hand. The shepherd is not just a hired hand, but he is one who will lay his life down for the sheep. Because the attacks that come to the church, to the sheep, are not just attacks that come to the sheep, but oftentimes they start at the shepherds. And so we see the, the first warning here in speaking of this role of shepherding, right, is that elders must be on guard for their own spiritual lives. Elders must be on guard for their own spiritual lives. Paul instructs in verse 28, pay careful attention. Not little attention, not if you have time, that one day out of the the month or or every Sunday. No, pay attention to yourselves. Richard Baxter, Puritan pastor, wrote in The Reformed Pastor, said, speaking to the elders of the church, he said this to the elders. He said, heed to ourselves, lest we should be rid of that saving grace of God that we offer to others. Take heed to ourselves, lest we live with those actual sins that we may preach against in others. Let us, take, let us see that we are not guilty that which we may daily condemn. Take heed to ourselves that we may not be unfit for the great task that we have undertaken to complete. Since we are to teach men the great mysteries of the faith, we must not be babies in the knowledge of God's word and practice it. Take heed to ourselves lest we exemplify contradictory doctrine. Be aware lest we lay such stumbling blocks before the blind that we occasion their ruin. Be aware lest we undo with our lives that what we say with our tongues. Be aware lest we lay such stumbling blocks before the blind that we occasion their ruin. Be aware lest we undo with our lives what we say with our tongues. Be aware lest we become the greatest hindrances to the success of our own labors. What a warning that we must take heed of our lives. Elders are to be first on guard for their own spiritual lives and to never allow it to slip. We all have blind spots. Elders have blind spots. And if you're not paying attention, one can give into sin and into temptation and compromise ourselves in the ways that Richard Baxter was warning so long ago. That you will not just wound yourself, but you will wound the church you will wound the church you will hurt the church you will stunt the growth of the church and again as we spoke last week this is the benefit of having a plurality of elders because we have each other to watch each other's back and to helpful and striving in striving and keeping guard of not just ourselves but elders are to be on guard For the flock, pay attention to yourselves and to the flock. Shepherds guard the sheep because they know that there are wolves that are fierce and that they are dangerous and that they will prey upon the church and they will not spare the lives of the church. Elders are given to stand the line. They are to wield the staff. They are to stay Awake. They are to be vigilant in the Word of God, being open to see at all times when heresies seek to come in and tear asunder the church, as the song goes. This may include reproving and correcting those who are in sin and those who are toying with sin. Not everything that goes wrong in the church can be corrected in the pulpit but should be done one-on-one with the elder or with the group of elders, with two or three. Guarding can be difficult. Guarding the flock can be difficult because the decisions that the elders may make may not be the popular decision before the world or even by some church members. It may not even be popular to what popular evangelical Christianity may even say you should do. But the elders do not answer primarily to man. We answer to the word of God. And as elders, they must be faithful to God's word in those decisions and in protecting and guarding the church. This again is where a plurality of elders helps in those difficult decisions because it doesn't leave one man on an island to be swayed by popular opinion. Or to be moved away from God's word. Or even one man to make the one hard decision. The work of an elder is not for fame. It's not for prestige or for privilege. But it is to be humbly carried out in love as the under shepherds of the great shepherd, the good shepherd, the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ who guards his flock. Verse 29 tells us, as Paul tells them, that there are fierce wolves coming. That's some pretty serious language. I mean, it would be different if you say, hey, guys, pay attention. There's some puppies coming your way. And they're going to be cute, and they're going to be lovable. And sure, they might have some, some little dainty, sharp teeth, but that's okay. It won't hurt you that bad. No, these are fierce wolves. He says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. I don't know if you've ever seen the animal planet shows. Wolves are nothing to be played around with, no matter what environmentalists say. They're not. They are crazy. They're awesome. Power. I mean, they are Awesome animals, but they are dangerous. And when you have more than one, you're toast. That's what we're hearing here. Now, Paul's not literally talking about, hey, there's going to be some wild animals that might bust into your church doors and and, you you might have to set traps and all that stuff. No, he's talking about people. People who are not sheep or people who dress up like sheep but are wolves. And when they come in, they're not going to spare you. When the pack of wolves back on an animal, they're not going to spare you. And they're going to hunt you for sport. In almost every letter written in the New Testament, it was written to address some false teaching and some false teachers that were coming in as fierce wolves or hidden wolves up in sheep's clothing among the church. This isn't just a massive reality for the first century church, but this is a reality even among us. Wolves are always seeking to destroy and to divide us. Sometimes these wolves are easy to spot by their immorality in their false gospel. Hello, TBN. But most of the time, wolves look a lot like us. They're very subtle in their devouring of the sheep. Sometimes they don't outright kill, but they put you in the pot and turn the oven up, like boiling the frog slowly. From the first century to the 21st century, the church lives under constant external assault. These attacks are sometimes political. They're even theological. And certainly cultural through moral pressure. But just like then and now, these attacks are spiritual. Hear me on this. Even in our little town of Statesboro, it is full of wolves that are seeking to devour. And they look and they claim to be Christian. So with this stern warning, what does this mean that our shepherds must be doing? And what kind of shepherds we must have? They must have the, they must have the ability to recognize wolves and be on guard. This should show us then the quality of the man and the men who will stand firm in Christ for the body of Christ against wolves, even at their own expense and reputation. To do this, shepherds must be firmly rooted in the deep foundation of the truth of God's word. Back to verse 28, it tells us the motivation or things that that what motivates an elder under such immense pressure it says pay attention to yourselves again to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church and God of God which he obtained with his own blood Paul and in in his other missionary partners Selected these elders when, when they were raising them up and discipling them in Ephesus. And the congregation, the church members probably affirmed these elders and believed that God had brought them these elders to lead them and shepherd them. But it was before, but before them, it was the Holy Spirit that made them overseers. God calls people to lead and to oversee and to be shepherds. This is the foundation for every elder. The ability to serve the church of Christ is through and by the Holy Spirit's distinct call in setting them apart. That is a point that must not be overlooked. Because do we still believe Or do we believe that God, the Holy Spirit, will call and raise up elders among us to meet the needs of the body, his body, to guard the church? Not just men we hire through committee, but men that we recognize among ourselves and among us that God has made to shepherd us, shepherd us. Third, a shepherd not only guards themselves or guards the flock, but they also nourish the sheep. What kind of shepherd could call himself a good shepherd if the sheep are not led to be nourished on the best grasses and fields and clean water so that each sheep, from the lambs to the older rams and the ewes, are still being cared for and nourished. Could we not say the same thing about the shepherds that God has placed over his church? Are they not also to feed and nourish the church? But we feed the church not with food. But we feed and nourish the church with the word of God. 1 Timothy 3.2, 5.17, and Titus 1.9 all say, as we said last week, all say that the elders are to be able to teach. If all the elders are able to teach soundly, then these under-shepherds must feed Jesus' sheep. Primarily, all the teaching in the church should be done by the elders and in everywhere else in any other way that there will be teaching in the church must always come under the authority and the oversight of the elders. All teaching of God's word is for the admonishing and for the exhortation of the church to remind them of their former life. This is who you once were, dot, dot, dot. But now, this is who you are now in Christ. This is the position that you now have in Christ. Forgiven in Christ. Now that's some good nourishment. Call the people to repentance. And they point people to the gospel. That's good grass. Come and feast on this grass. Come drink from these waters. They are to teach sound doctrine and faithfully proclaim and teach and preach the full counsel of God's word. Whether they are the teaching pastor elder or a lay pastor elder, both the elders are equal in authority and leadership and are equally responsible before the Lord as ones who will give and account for nourishing the sheep. The elders should always be in tune to the overall teaching and ministry of the church. From the songs that we sing, from what is taught in all of our small groups and how it's taught and who is teaching, always listening to our members, to what they are reading, what they are listening to, to what they are watching, to be alert for the rotten food and the bitter water that is often put in front of us. When theological debate comes in the church... And brings divisions as these things do. It is the elders who do not judge according to how they think or the sway of the body of Christ. But they judge and make the decision based upon sola scriptura. Scripture alone. To instruct and to teach the church soundly during controversy. And like Jesus, elders make teaching the central part of their ministry. Like Jesus, the gospel is the primary content of their teaching. So elders shepherd the people toward knowing and trusting Jesus because he's the food. He is the bread of life. He is the living water. It is him where you will be nourished. Next, shepherds give the sheep someone worth following. In 1 Peter 5, 2 and 3, he says, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, verse 3, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock in their character, in the character of the elders, let them see the character of Jesus lived out in the church. And at home, and in the community where they work, let them see Christ. Elders are at their best when they reflect Christ. Think with me again, some of the, what we talked about last week on the qualifications, the qualifications. Uh, Of an elder. No wonder those qualifications stress so much the character of a man, the heart of a man, the holiness and the godliness of a man, and less on his talents and charisma and popularity. Why? Because it's an elder's job to say, imitate me as I also imitate. Christ. Now, I want you to know that that is a very hard verse for me to say. Because I know that I am a sinner. I know that I am in need of God's grace as you are in need of God's grace. You are a sinner. We're all in the need of God's grace and his mercy. But what Paul is getting at is I don't want you to look like me. I want you to look like Christ, and I'm striving to look like Christ as well. The example of an elder, of an under-shepherd, is always to be pointing and directing the sheep. Hey, not me, but Christ. Not me, but Christ. Not me, but Christ. So as you follow me, I'm doing this. I'm doing this. Ryan, don't look like Ben. I'm an idiot. But Christ is not. He's glorious and good. And what I want you to see in me is I want you to see a man who's striving to be like Christ. The hope of the sheep. Your hope is not me. Your hope is not Bill. That's obvious. (laughs) Or our brother who is absent this morning because he's sick. but when you come to me and you look at me, I hope my life points to the one who I'm hoping in. Like evangelist in the pilgrim's progress pointing to Christian, that way, that way to the wicked gate, go. A shepherd gives the sheep someone to follow. Now, when it comes to the overseers, these two roles, they really intertwine between First Peter and Acts 20, and the rest of that. there's some other passages. This is shepherd to flock, but to oversee them and to exercise oversight. First Peter 5 says, exercise oversight, oversee the body of Christ, the flock. And in these two roles, shepherd and overseer, these functions begin to overlap with one another because... An elder is shepherding when they're exercising oversight. And when they're exercising oversight, they're shepherding. 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, the list of qualifications, I believe we read those uh, last week. This, in this job description in there, there's a job description in there in the qualifications to be an overseer. Verse 1 says, The saying is trustworthy, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. In verse 5, he then begins to talk about the family. Again, we talked about this last week, that he is to manage his own household well. And what we said last week is that this is how we will know, and this is how the church will, will, will know how he is going to care for God's church. Now this word for, for manage that's used is also the same word that's used in First Thessalonians 5:12. She's gonna put it up on the screen for you. First Thessalonians 5:12 speaks of the church respect, respecting and honoring those who labor among you, especially in the word of God. And he says why? Because they have charge over you in the Lord. It's the same word being used. There's an implication here of a strong interest in people in order to show character or show care for them. They have charge over you, meaning they have a strong urge to care for you, to want the best for you, to see you flourish and be nourished and you receive the good and the blessing. Author Phil Newton makes the connection here he says managing a church does not mean ordering people around but overseeing them hence episcopos overseer leading and caring in a caring fashion working toward their good as with any kind of managing or governing by the elders this is how they manage govern, and oversee the body. Every decision that they need to make is to be made according to the scriptures for the good of the body of Christ. And this also sets the direction and the mission of the church to grow, to be matured, to find joy in Christ. The overseeing or the oversight of the elder of the church is not governing, it's not ruling, it's not heavy-handed, it's not domineering, but rather it is tender, it is careful, it is precise, it's loving, it's for building up and not for tearing down. And that is why the connection is made to the home. Because if this father of this home and husband of this is leading his family well, managing his own household well, then they are tender and caring and loving and building up of their children and their wife. And that connection is to be made to the church and how they will be shepherding the church and overseeing the church. I'm only going to highlight three duties of the overseer. I think there's more, and of course we can go in greater detail of these. But I want you to see in these particular duties of what an overseer is and what an overseer does as an elder. First duty of an elder are to lead. I think that's what he's saying, oversee, right? means lead. Just as the shepherds lead the flock to green pastures and still waters, so do Elders exercise oversight by leading the local congregation. Shepherds watch over the souls of those who are in their their charge. They spend time with their flock. They understand the needs and they apply God's word to their flock particularly and precisely as they need They regularly feed them with the truth of the scripture by unfolding the great doctrines of the word of God. And they help them to stand firmly on the foundation of Christ and not on seeking sand. John Calvin explained, he said, Let us bear in mind the definition given to the word shepherd. For the flock of Christ cannot be fed except with pure doctrine which alone is our spiritual food. The elders oversee and lead the church who are instructed to obey the leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. This is humbling to any elder who is to lead because they know that they will give an account. If they believe God's word to be true, the way that they oversight will be through the lens of knowing that we will be watched and judged according to how we elder. And therefore, an elder must lead bravely. They don't hide like King Saul. When there are challenges in the church or pressures from outside of the church, The elders are to face them proactively in gentleness, in love, in humility, but with truth. And they are to plot a course forward, whatever the situation may be. Reaching out to a frustrated member who stopped attending. That's hard. Confronting an unrepentant member through church discipline, that's harder. When there are budget challenges, that's tough. And there are decisions that need to be made or any other policy that will affect the life of the church, the spiritual identity of the church and the congregation. That is hard. Brothers and sisters, last year, as elders, we had some hard decisions to make as many did, and I believe that we're going to have some hard decisions, unprecedented decisions that we will have to make, as we have seen other brothers have to make. Elders lead bravely, and they lead bravely because they lead not losing sight of their destination our goal as a church and as elders is not to be the kind of managers that lead an efficient organization with the most customers i mean congregants rather the elders should lead the church toward maturity in christ i'm thankful this week um, I was encouraged to, add, to use this passage today, and I, and I want to use it. Ephesians 4, verse 11. And he, Christ, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of faith. And the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Elder shepherd and lead the flock to green pastures and still waters when they help members through through faithful proclamation of God's word to know Jesus more, to delight in him, and for them to be increasing in their joy by doing the work of the ministry. It's not all our job to do every little thing, but you are to find the joy that we are finding in doing the work of the ministry within the church. Oversight and shepherding, brothers and sisters, always leads the church into faithfulness. It always leads the church into greater knowledge of Christ and the maturity of the church, despite everything else. Again, the warning for 1 Timothy 4.16, pay close attention to your life and your teaching how we handle the stress of life, how we respond to difficult people, how we respond when we blow it. We model the gospel in every angle of our life. As one of the nine Mark's books put it, the shepherds are to smell like the sheep. Elders are to lead the mission, the ministry, and the direction of the church. And just simply put, this This, I think, includes many areas in the life of the church, almost all of them, including the the ministries, the books, the discipleship, the finances, the the building needs, budgets, etc. The second duty of the elder is not only to lead, but they are to pray. In Acts chapter 6, there's a dispute that arose over the distribution of food to, to the widows, And the apostles' response to the church was, they said, put forward seven seven men of good reputation, full of spirit and wisdom, who could serve in this area of distribution to make sure that everybody gets enough food. And they say, so that we can continue to pray and do the ministry of the word of God given to the body. We've already talked a lot about teaching and the church, teaching the church and how important that is. But I believe just as important as the elders are to pray, pray for their members, pray for their needs, pray for their spiritual growth, pray for, pray for them in every way as possible. An elder, in all their quality and spiritual maturity, they are still powerless to change anyone. We know that it is only by the Holy Spirit that can do the work that only God can do through His Word. And so we pray. We pray trusting in Him that He would move in His sovereign hand. When we realize this truth, it drives men to pray and to plead the Lord for the maturity of his church. Elders strive to pray for church members because the elders know that it is the Lord that they solely depend upon. And third, the duty of the elder is to care. Care for the flock is for fighting for the joy of the people. And fighting for the joy of the church. And that happens in many ways. We talked about teaching. We talked about prayer. We talked about caring. But this is also caring now is for caring for the sick. According to James 5, uh, 13 and 14, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Caring is also shown by meeting the needs and making sure that the needs are being met within the body, putting deacons at work to meet the needs as the needs come. The primary concern of the elders, however, is the church. Our job is to meet the needs of the body of Christ, not the world. We shepherd and we oversee the church because it is you who we will give an account for. It is you who we will give an account for. Oswald Sanders said, spiritual spiritual ends can be achieved only by spiritual men who employ spiritual methods. Not talents, giftedness of church leaders, but spiritual men who wish to please only God. Elders are to be men who are tuned to the spiritual condition of the church, knowing the pulse and the temperature of the church, and therefore knowing how to biblically apply the scriptures and to physically care for them to their needs. Lastly, I want to say this about overseeing, is that to be an overseer and to oversee is an answerable work, meaning that elders must be reminded that the That the church does not belong to them, but that the church belongs to God. Because he is the one who has paid the redemptive price of his blood. He has paid the price. And this is why the church is to trust the Lord, that he is leading them through the elders. Because they are the men who are responsible before God in every decision that they will be the ones who will be held accountable and they will be judged accordingly. But also, as an elder, in this answerable work, I believe 1 Peter 5-4 is true, that when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. A dictator is a man who leads unilaterally. So is one So, a dictator could also be a group of men leading unilaterally. But a biblical plurality of shared authority in the elders derived from Christ and Christ's authority to teach and to lead and to model and to pray and to care for the flock is given for the benefit and for the blessing and for the joy of the flock. As we saw in Ephesians, the elders, when called and qualified, they are a gift to the church, maturing the church, seeing that them grow up into the fullness of Christ. And we live in an anti-authoritarian age where to say to submit to anyone is is considered demeaning. And especially when you call this group of men or when this group of men is supposed to be men, that that's patriarchal. They say that you are on the wrong side of history, throwing out these accusations, the new enlightened ones they believe themselves to be. But we do not follow the changes of those who think they understand history. And by making such statements, they prove that they don't even understand it. But they are tossed to and fro with every wind of thought and doctrine and feeling that comes their way brothers and sisters we are strangers we are aliens in a foreign land and we know that this is not our home and we are becoming stranger and stranger but until we are called home we must follow our master and our shepherd our Savior, Jesus Christ, according to his infallible word. Our American mindset, coupled with a sin nature and biblical ignorance, are like sheep who say they do not want to be shepherded. They say, it's my personal walk with Jesus. But where does that get you? Constant struggle, struggle with sin, Always dissatisfied with church, disappointment with others, and lots of blame shifting. But when you strip everything away, the problem that people have most often when it comes to submitting to authority, especially in the church, is that it's not a problem with men. The problem actually is with Jesus. Jesus calls for radical obedience. He calls us to come and die to ourselves. He calls us to take up our cross and follow him. And when we won't submit to the scriptures, when when one will not submit to the, the church and to the elders as God's provisions for grace and for their sanctification, then it's not a problem with man. It is really a problem with Jesus. Now understand me. Do not submit to legit abuse. Do not submit to heresy. I don't care who they, what their names are, or what position they say, or what church it is. Do not submit to domineering elders or abusive churches. I know they are out there. I get it. But just because when I was in fourth grade, I took a swig of milk that was spoiled. It didn't mean that the next day I didn't come back and drink more milk. Meaning, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. I want us to look back again as we close right now. Peter 5 again. Verse 5. He says, Likewise. He's shifting now from the elders to the church. Likewise, you who are younger. Be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, meaning put on, dress yourself up, get prepared with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for your for your word. And we pray, oh God, that you would continue to teach us these things. God, we pray that you would help us to raise up elders in our church, that every man, every man would see the, this, this desire to want to become an elder. And yet, Lord, we will trust that you will call and you will set apart those whom you will, but that all will pursue these qualifications. Lord, we are thankful for your word. We thank you for how it shapes us. We're we're thankful for how it, it guides us to be your church and how it guides us. And Lord, we look to you in all things. And so be with us in our response time. The things that we say, be encouraging and building up of one another. We love you and we give you the praise in Christ's name. Amen.